Matthew chapter 1. You really don't have to go to Matthew chapter 1. Probably be better off just to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. And then put you a note on James chapter 1. Or you can write them down as I read them and we'll go from there. Usually I try to stay in one area of the Bible, but not today. I'm going to do a little bit more teaching, I think, this morning than preaching. If you study your Bible alone, you, uh, especially when you read through it and you study through the Bible as a whole, you'll see in the Bible there's a lot of themes that God uses uh, from Genesis all the way through Revelation to paint a picture uh, whether it's in a parable type and you, you see the underlying message that the Lord's given you. One of those themes that you see throughout the scripture, so many, uh, mentions in the Bible of, uh, seeds and how they parallel and the picture that they paint of a lot of different things in the scripture. And I wanted to look at that this morning in Matthew chapter one, uh, in the first about 17 verses or so, what you see is a picture of Jesus' family tree. Uh, it starts off in verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes through and lists a lot of different people that, that are in Jesus' family tree all the way down to the point to where uh, in verse 16 it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. Notice that it doesn't say J- Joseph begot Jesus, uh, because he was the son of God. But he was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus uh, was born, who is called the Christ. And so, when you look at that, that I want you to... This is going to be, honestly, this is going to be a study that... You're going to have to make some notes and dig deep. It's a good study. I can't cover everything this morning. Uh, if you're not going to continue in it, hopefully you'll get something out of it. But I encourage you to uh, to take this and dig dig in it because you get a lot of good truths out of it that will change your life. <clears throat> so, in, so in verse 1 where it starts off, it lists two key people here and identifies them with Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ and it says the son of David the son of Abraham, the two patriarchs that it, that it seems to magnify above everybody else is David and Abraham. With Abraham, you go back and you, you know, and we'll look at it in just a second in, in um, Genesis chapter 12, God made Abraham a promise that he would bless his seed. Not only was he talking about that he would be multiplied and cover the face of the earth with, with seed for his children, but that seed it refers to there, it tells us in Galatians that it refers to not seeds as many, but seed as one is speaking of Jesus. So when you look at that and it talks about the, the promises that was made to Abraham, God was, God was making a promise to all of us as he spoke through Jesus coming from the, the genealogy of Abraham. <clears throat> and, and so you got the history of mankind here that goes back to Abraham and, and a little bit all the way back, honestly, into Genesis we'll look at. And so you see the history of mankind and then when he mentions David, who is the royal lineage of Jesus. Okay, He made David a covenant or a promise, and he told David that your seed will always be on the throne. So he was speaking in the future when when Christ would come and rule and reign, he would be enthroned in uh, New City Jerusalem here on earth for a thousand years and in the New City Jerusalem forever that Christ would rule and reign. And so these two men are directly connected with the history of mankind and the future of mankind and, and how God tied them into his 
foretold plan and purpose that he would fulfill through his son Jesus, bringing him into uh, this world as a man in the flesh, God in the flesh who died for our sins, made a way so that we could uh, be with the Lord forever. Look in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> That's where we're going to start pretty good, and then we'll be in Genesis chapter 3. I won't go heavy into 3 because I've preached on that and taught on that a lot. But looking at the seed, the seed of Abraham, Jesus was the seed of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, looking in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, this was before his name was changed to Abraham, he said, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God came back and reinstated that covenant later in Genesis chapter 15, and he talked about blessing his seed, okay? And so this promise, this is the Abrahamic covenant, or, or or a part of it here, <clears throat> which Christ, or which which God was speaking to Abraham, but He was speaking of Jesus. There's two parts of this that connects with Israel uh, as a physical blessing, and then it's the spiritual where He says, "I will bless those who bless you." He's speaking of Jesus. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And so there's a two part promise in that seed that he was speaking of there with Abraham. This is God's plan to bring salvation into the world. Somebody had to die for mankind's sin in order for mankind to have the opportunity to be forgiven so that we could be restored to the life that God intended for us to have that that Adam janked up and, and uh, messed up everything for us. <clears throat> At least we got somebody to blame, amen. <laughs> Alright, but this is not the first time over in, in Genesis chapter 15 where it speaks of the seed that it is mentioned. If you'll flip your Bible over in Genesis chapter 3, seeds are spoken of all throughout scripture and, and I want you to, to understand seeds are a very small but a very powerful uh, source. While you're looking there, I'm going to read to you real quick. You can write it down out of James chapter 1. Let me find my place. James chapter 1, in verse 14, it's talking about temptation, or a seed of temptation. And it says in, in, in verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. And notice what it says here. And then when he, then when desire has conceived, when that seed of sin is conceived in a person's heart, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Seeds come in, in two different forms, both good and bad. God sows seeds through His Word, and our hearts, our hearts, our lives are like a seed bed. Everything in your life can be traced back to a seed. When you look at Jesus and it, and it paints a picture of his family tree there, it backs us all the way back up to the seed that was planted back here in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, in verse 15, and then it gives you an understanding there when he goes to Abraham. So God sows seeds, but understand you have an enemy that sows seeds too. And seeds, though very small, are very powerful because once it's conceived, 
Once it takes root in your heart, it's going to grow. Whether good or bad, whether righteous or wicked, a seed's going to take root if you allow it to, and it's going to grow in your heart. And like a tree, it's going to become fully grown. And if it's a seed of sin, it's going to bring forth destruction and death and misery. And when you when you look in uh, uh, where Adam and Eve, remember God planted them in the garden. Uh, everything was good. Everything was very good. The life that God intended for them to have, perfect fellowship, peace, you know, walking with the Lord. It's what eternity is going to be like. If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, rewind back before man took a fall into sin and you'll see a, a, a small picture. Except heaven's going to be even better because you're going to see Jesus and you're going to be, you're going to be worshiping at his throne. But, but, but along came, we won't read it for time's sake, but you remember the story of Adam's fall in Genesis chapter three. You can read it later today if you get a chance, if you're not familiar with it, where Satan comes along and what does he do? He sows a seed. He sows the seed of doubt because God had told Adam that of every tree of the garden you can freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not partake of that tree because the, in the day that you eat that tree thereof, you will surely die. When God speaks, God doesn't lie. God warns them, you know, he gives them everything. He said, I don't want you to partake of this tree. Man was created with free will. God created us as we can choose to worship or not choose to worship. And so at this point, Adam, honestly, the Bible teaches, was a representative of all of mankind. He could have made the right choice. We'd all been good. You know the story? Obviously, Adam didn't make the right choice because Satan came along and he was tempting the woman. Adam, I believe, was right there amongst it. And he, and he spoke doubt of God's word into her heart. So that seed took root in her heart. And as it says in James, talks about the desire. If you'll keep reading there, Genesis says, it said she looked at the tree. Satan had her full attention. Okay, don't let the devil get your attention. Don't even listen to what he's got to say. Okay, when he begins to sow those seeds of doubt into your mind, Okay, you need to, you need to take that thought captive and go, this is not from God's word. This is not from the Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to think about this or dwell this. I'm going to fill my heart and my seed bed with truth. And so, but she doesn't do that. She listens and he causes doubt. Then he speaks a lie, says, you know, God doesn't want you to partake of this tree because he knows in the day that you eat that tree, you'll be like him. You'll be wise. You'll be like God. And so she looks at the tree. She considers the seed that's been sown in her heart. And all of a sudden, you see the seed that he sowed there, it took root. Because it said, she looked up on the tree, and it was a tree that was desired to make one wise. She acted upon that, and she took of the fruit. Adam took of the fruit. And at that moment, the seed of sin took root in mankind's heart. If you look at the world today, the world is crazy and broken. You, you've got constant wars. You, I looked on the news this week where it's talking about the nuclear race now, and they're building nuclear, uh, trying to build up all the nuclear weapons, all that. You've got terrorism. <clears throat> there was a there was a, uh, a place in Egypt where terrorists hit, and it killed over three hundred people this week. With I believe it was church, honestly, if I heard it right, and they threw grenades in there. It killed women and children, over 300 people. Fear and, and murders and you know, filthy perversion and death and sorrow and suffering and pain and sickness and disease and, and all the different things. Even the natural disasters we've seen so many of, it seems like, in the last couple of years. And you look at the world and you go, this is chaotic and it's crazy. You can trace every one of those back to one small seed. And that was the seed that Satan pitched out there in Adam's heart. And Adam believed the lie. 
I guarantee you this, if you got an area in your life where you got troubles and trials and struggles and, and sin and destruction and division and any of those things go along, I guarantee you if you'll rewind long enough, you'll come to a place where you believed the seed of a lie. And you acted upon that and it took root in your heart and it began to grow. And if it, maybe it's not full grown, you need to cut it off at the root right now. But it's going to continue to grow because that's what sin does. A seed always grows. Once it takes root, it's going to grow, whether good or bad. Don't think that you're going to make, you know, we might look at some temptation, for instance, uh, or a small lie, you know, a compromise. We might look at it and go, what, what's the harm? It's not going to stay small. It's like, you know, cats, they multiply. Uh, you know, they're not going to stay small. They're going to grow and keep growing and keep growing. And that's what sin does in our life. The devil wants you to go, it's not, it's not that bad. It's just a small compromise. It's just a small temptation. It's a, it's one of those little, you know, it's one of those little small sins. But, but I'm going to tell you something. Once it takes root in your heart, it grows and it multiplies and it becomes massive. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. That sin took root in their heart and all of a sudden it became a massive basically a tree of sin, okay? That's why it's important that you have a seed filter in your life. Parents, we need to have a seed filter for our kids to make sure what they're seeing and what they're hearing when they're on the phone. A lot of parents just give, you know, I've seen parents give little bitty kids phones, turn them loose, got the internet. Oh, I believe kids need to make their choices. Not a good choice. That's why God gave you that kid so that you could parent that kid in wisdom. Kids are stupid. You know, they're not wise. I don't mean they're ugly, but I'm saying they're, they don't have wisdom. I guess a better word would have been the foolish or whatever. I know what I'm saying. Every one of you would say, my kids do some stupid stuff. And that's what I mean by that. You know why they do stupid things? Because they're not wise. That's why God gave them hopefully wise parents that can go, we're your filter. We're going to make sure you don't have the opportunity. Not that I don't trust you. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is going off on my message. Let me be honest with you. Anybody that says, oh, I've, I've raised my baby right. You know, he's seven now. Or she's eight now. We've had him in church their whole life. I trust him. You're, you're the fool. What you're saying is, I trust that the devil could not possibly deceive my eight-year-old. That is crazy. Don't look at the, don't look at your kid and go, it's not that I don't trust him. I don't trust the devil. I don't trust the fact that he's going to leave him alone. And, and here's the thing. I'm a full-grown adult. I got a little bit of wisdom because I'm 45, and he still deceives me. So if he can fool me and he can cause me to make stupid choices, then I need to protect my kids and my teenagers and even on up in their age, speaking wisdom and truth. You know, God calls us to be seed sowers. It's not just guarding your kids, okay? You don't want your kids' life to look like a sand pit. You want to not just keep evil from them, but you want to make sure you're sowing seeds of truth and of hope in their life. You know, you think the magnitude, some of the things in your life that has molded you as an adult. You go back and go, why do I think the way I think? Why do I act the way I do? Why do I do some of the things? Why am I involved in some of the things that I'm involved in? Why do I live the way that I live? A lot of those answers would go back to, it was a seed my, my parents sowed in me when I was a little bitty. Some of you got some hurts and pains in your life. And maybe you're the only one that knows about it. And you've got anger and you've got depression and you've got, you know, hurt and sorrow and, and things you wrestle with and in certain ways you raise your kids because you could trace it back and go, something happened to me or there was a seed in my life from somebody or something that caused this in me. And now I'm an adult and I'm still dealing with that small sin or that small seed that was 20 years ago. 
You understand what I'm saying? So it's important, not just as parents, but as believers, you have the power of the seed. I believe in the power of the seed, especially of the gospel. That when you sow it into somebody's heart, you speak truth into those kids. You speak truth in your friends. You speak truth into your family and your husband and your wife. You know, I'm a critical, negative person naturally. And God, God drive my wife crazy probably. She hadn't said it, but I'm sure I do. Because I always got these thoughts. I'm just, you know, I see the negative of everything in my wife, especially about me. And my wife is always sowing seeds to me, you know, speaking truth and speaking positive and going, that's a lie. You know, that's not coming from the Lord. And you have to have a filter to where, you know, the Bible talks about um, taking your taking your thoughts captive. And that's where the devil's going to attack you, man. He's going to attack you and your thoughts. And you say, how do, how do I combat that? You know, when I have a thought process and the devil's going to, think about this, he's always going to give you thoughts of destruction, thoughts of temptation, doubt, fear, those kind of things that he wants to place into your heart. And, and the Bible says, take those thoughts captive. You've got to look and go, this is not from the Lord. These are things that the devil's put there, and I'm going to put this out of my life, and I'm going to get into God's Word, and I want to speak. Remember what, when, when Satan tempted Jesus, I believe it's Matthew chapter 4, what did he do? He, be, he began to speak lies, and he spoke doubt. He always said, if, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to be turned into bread. What was he doing? He was trying to put doubt in the mind of God. You know what Jesus responded? He spoke the word of God. Each time he spoke truth, because truth is the only thing you can battle a lie with. That's why it's so important if you're one of those people, especially, I believe everybody does, but some of us struggle a little bit more in our minds, that you get into God's word and you know the truth in order that when you hear that lie and he speaks that lie or he causes that temptation in your life to go, this is going to be good. It's not going to be bad. It's not going to bring anything to strike your life. You know what? God's word says this. This is what God's word says and I believe God because God doesn't lie. And the Bible says when we resist the devil that he flees. And so here in, in Genesis, I got to move on through. In Genesis... You see, Satan sowed that seed, and Adam jumped in and grabbed a hold of it. And the next thing you know, you've got the tree of sin massively growing throughout all of mankind, okay? That's Adam's tree, all right? Then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 3, immediately, understand this, this is because I want you to see about the Lord, because Satan lies about God and God's character and God's purposes and God's ways towards you, but immediately, when Adam sinned, God planted a seed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said, he's speaking here to, to, the, to the serpent, or to Satan, he said, I will put enmity or hatred between you, and notice he says, the woman. Between you and the woman, between your seed and the woman's seed, or her seed, wasn't the seed of Adam, it was the seed of the woman. This was the promise of the virgin birth. And he's speaking here of Jesus. He gives mankind an immediate hope. Isn't God good? When man makes a stupid choice... And we fall to temptation and we go against God knowing, we're, man, Adam and Eve knew they were going strictly against God. This wasn't, oh, I tripped and fell. No, this was, I dove in. And they, they went against God's word. They doubted God. They even envied God because they wanted to be like God. And immediately God responded and said, now I'm going to give you hope. Is that crazy? Y'all awake this morning? Y'all still getting over turkey all week, huh? But he gives hope. Um, he plants a seed of hope right there, not of despair and of destruction, but God sows a seed of promise, of hope, of salvation, of restoration. And so one of the ways that you know, because some people go, how do I know if this is come from? 
I'm going to get y'all to interact. How many of you ever ever wonder, now did that come from the Lord or does that come from the devil? All of us, if you're seeking something, you know, I, I need some direction in my life, and all of a sudden you see this door open, or you have a thought in your mind, or an opportunity to go, now, is because I want to know, you know, Lord, is this coming from you, or is this coming from the devil? Everybody with me on that? Here's, here's some of the ways maybe to help you. One of the ways that you know the seed comes from God is that, number one, it always glorifies Jesus. Here, God magnifies Jesus. He said, I'm going to give you the seed of the woman. My son's going to come and he's going to restore you. He's going to give you an opportunity to be saved from your sin and from the choice that you made. And so you got to look when you have those thoughts and you have those opportunities. Is this glorifying to Jesus? The second thing is, Jesus always brings hope and life. He always speaks life. Remember what he told the apostles when he led them out of the prison, okay? In Acts chapter 5, I believe it was, right in that area, maybe 7, don't hold me to it. But anyhow, I believe it was Acts chapter 5, they, the, the angel delivered them from prison. He said, now go stand in the temple and speak what? The words of life. God always speaks, even to, if you look at the worst of sinners, if you don't get nothing else out of this message, Go back and study some of those people's name that's listed in Jesus' family tree. I don't think it's just a coincidence. You got, you got number one, Judah and Tamar, rated R. I won't even go into that this morning, okay? Rated R in what took place in their life. David and Bathsheba. And if you look how God lists Bathsheba, it says, the wife of Uriah. God magnified one of the biggest sins in David's life there in his family tree. You got Rahab, who was a prostitute. You got um, Ruth, who was a Gentile. All these different people. You say, that's, that's just family tree? If you look back far enough in your family tree, probably people hanging on the limbs. Amen. We all got our families. Y'all awake. So when you look at Jesus' family tree, it was not a, it was not a tree of people who were holy and perfect and righteous and always in the temple and, and offering up sacrifices. It was a wretched group of people who lived in darkness and sin, who come from every way of life, every kind of nationality, you know, all kind of things that was in very embarrassing in Jesus' family tree, pretty much my family tree. And the hope that you have there is he's like, I come from these people. That's why he was called the son of man. In the book of Luke. Why? Because he identifies with every single person. And he's like, yeah, this is my family. I come to save them. And so God always speaks life. And he always speaks hope. And then another way that you know that that seed is from the Lord is, it always provokes us to faith. Because Hebrews chapter 1, think about this. Hebrews chapter 1, I mean, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. God's seed, what did he do? He gave a, a, a seed of hope here to Adam. All of a sudden he's like, I'm going to save you. Adam perfectly understood what God was doing. God was preaching the gospel to Adam right here. He's like, my seed, my son's going to come through the woman and it's going to be the savior. But why? Because this, the serpent's going to bruise his heel on the cross, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to destroy the power of sin and death. Adam believed God. He was saved the same way that you and I are saved. He believed the gospel. Changed his wife's name from woman to Eve, the mother of all living. Okay, And God clothed him in the righteousness of Christ, slaying an animal covered in the skins of the animal, covered their sins. They were no longer naked in their sin before the Lord. Y'all with me? Getting the pictures of that? It's good stuff there. Dig in and go deep. And so... God's seed's gonna provoke you to faith, same way that it did 
Abraham, when God spoke that, Abraham believed God. He got up and he went out into the country that he did not know of, following God's calling in his life. And so, doubt, discouragement, disgust, condemnation, all those things we wrestle with, it's bad seed. Those are the things the devil wants to sow in your mind. When you make a mistake, God always speaks hope. Hey, you know, some people get the, the, um, probably not gonna finish tomorrow. Well, I'm gonna finish, but not my message. Some people confuse the work of the Holy Spirit. And they think, well, when you sin, we use the word, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Convict means if I stand before a judge and I'm guilty, he convicts me of a crime. The Holy Spirit's not there to convict me and to put condemnation and judgment on me. Jesus said, I will send you a, and he's talking to believers here, he said, I will send a comforter. Someone who will bring back to you the words that I have spoken to you. Jesus always spoke hope. You know, he didn't have a bunch of prostitutes and tax collectors and, and thieves and, and all these people hanging around him because he went, you know what, you're a dirty, you're a dirty, filthy person. You need to get right. If he did that, that's what the Pharisees did. Those people didn't want anything to do with the Pharisees. When the Pharisees came, they scattered. When Jesus came, they gathered. Why? Because when they come around him, he always spoke hope. He always spoke life to them. He always gave them, you know, here's the thing with, with what we need to get as God's people. Most sinners know they're sinners. You know, they know they're guilty. They know that they, they've made bad choices or not. They know that they sin. They know they're involved in darkness. You know, you take a person who's an alcoholic, uh, a Christian, don't even go, you know what, you're a dirty alcoholic. You're going to go to hell because you're an alcoholic. They know they're an alcoholic. What happens though when we go up and speak hope and go, you know what, God knows you're an alcoholic. He died for alcoholics. He died to save you from your sin. To forgive, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's self-righteousness, you know, whether it's a hypocrite. It doesn't matter what your sin is or where you fit in the tree. You know, God, God came to save nuts. Amen. And so in that, God sows grace and love. He sows direction and courage and wisdom. Think about this. God always leads us to victory. You can't show me anywhere in the Bible where God gave up on his people and went, you know what? We're just not going to win this. I tried, did my best. We're just not going to win. He always said, you keep going. I'm going to show you a great victory. Not that you're going to win, but that I'm going to win. And so when you're involved in something in your life, no matter what it is, Maybe just a simple project you're in. Maybe it's, you know, something that you're, you're trying to do and you're doing it for the glory of God. And it's not contrary to the scripture, okay? And you're doing something for the Lord or you're, or you're in a marriage or you're in a family or, or you're in a business situation, whatever it is, the devil's always, if, if it's for the glory of God, it's going to bring him honor. He's always going to try to speak doubt to you. This is not going to work. You're never going to accomplish this. You know, it's, it's over for you. He's always going to speak discouragement and fear. Why? Because he wants you to go, I give up. I walk away. I'm not going to do this. God doesn't get the glory out of that. There's no glory in defeat. I mean, how many of you watch the Super Bowl and the team that loses stand right afterwards, you know, they're, they're celebrating and giving hats. They take the hats and burn them. There's no glory in defeat, right? Y'all with me? God doesn't get glory in defeat. Well, God gets glory in his victory. And when things get doubtful and things get discouraging, okay, and you begin to battle, that's when God arises because the Bible said he's the God of battles. He's the God who gives victory in life. And what you need to do is quit listening to the seeds of lie. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of this. I'm going to uproot these things in my life that probably got me into this place. And I'm going to begin to let the seeds of truth sow into my heart. And I'm going to look to God in faith. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to follow his words. And I will see a victory. Walls will fall. People will turn and flee. And I'm going to find God's favor in my life because I trust in the Lord and He always sows seed of hope in my life. 
Now, let me finish up. <clears throat> this seed was promised to Abraham. The seed was speaking of was Jesus. He was born a man, a son of God. And here's the beautiful thing. This might not make sense to you. This is just the way my mind works. I think God took a seed. He sowed it. Jesus comes through the lineage or the, or the genealogy of Abraham, the son of God, who is now nailed to the tree of sin. Adam's family tree, all this chaos and destruction and wickedness and darkness you see in this world, Jesus was nailed to that tree, representing us and went, now I will pay the full penalty for this. Buried in the grave, went to the roots and cut them down. And when he rose to life, you see a picture of Jesus is the tree of life. You partake of him, you have eternal life. You got the point here? God, all the way through the scripture, God makes a beautiful picture if you'll just look for it and see that the truth is there. But when Christ went to the cross, the cross represents that tree of death or that tree of sin. He called it the tree of Adam. It was a cursed tree. And the Bible says in Galatians that Jesus became a curse for us, for our sins. Our sins, our iniquities, our bad choices, however you want to call it, was laid upon him. And he died in our place, buried our sin in the grave, and he cut sin at the root. Remember when John the Baptist was preaching, I believe it was Matthew chapter 3, where he said, Now the axe is laid at the root, and any tree that does not bring forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Jesus rose from the grave. And here's the thing, because a lot of us as believers, we still struggle with sin. Am I alone? Anybody here besides me struggle with sin? Amen. Every single one of us, this week, if you look back, probably to about two hours ago, you had some struggles. If it wasn't two hours, it was yesterday. Some of you got together and you had bad thoughts about your family. Okay, Some of you are like, man, I have to cut that limb off the tree. Yeah, and you maybe you had some disagreements. Or maybe you, you envied somebody this week. Your sister-in-law drove up in a new car and you drove up in a piece of junk and, and you envied her. Whatever it was, we all struggle with our sin. And sometimes what happens is the closer, let me give you some encouragement, the closer that you walk to the Lord, and you're like, man, I want to I want to know the Lord, I want to follow Jesus, I've been reading the Bible, I've been going to church, I've been growing, and the more that I do, it seems like the more that I see my sin. You understand what I'm saying? The more that my darkness, you know, and that used to, I could sin really big, it didn't bother me. Now I sin a little bit, and it's just like, whoa, it's there. You know why? The devil wants to magnify your sin. Man, the closer you get to the Lord, number one, light always magnifies. Why? Because God's like, I want to take this out of your life. I want to remove this. I want to clean you from this. I want to deliver you. I want to set you free from that. And the devil's like, look at your sin. Look at your sin. You failed. You fall. Look at you. you. You was in church last Sunday. You know, you were singing. You were praying. You were preaching. And five minutes later, you just had this thought. And what is he doing? All of a sudden, he's going to sow a seed of condemnation. And if you let it take root in your heart, you know what you'll do? You'll head away from the cross. God's like, the Holy, here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, look to me. Look to Jesus. You know, the Satan is our accuser. Think about this. Satan is our accuser. He's like, look at your sin. Look at your feel. Look at your thoughts. Look at your actions. You didn't do anything this week, or you did something you weren't supposed to do this week. You should be so ashamed. How could you possibly stand and preach, or teach, or go to church and worship? You hypocrite. That's one voice that you hear from the accuser. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is my advocate. He's like, yes, you did, but look to the cross because your sin has been paid for. Look to Jesus because where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. He always speaks truth. Problem is, most of the time we listen to the lie because we hear very little of his voice. We spend very little time sowing truth in our hearts. Remember the Holy Spirit said, I will bring back to your mind or your heart the things which he has spoken. If I don't know what he's spoken, how can he bring it to me? Right? Moving on. But here's the good thing. 
for you for you believers who struggle with sin. So how do I know that the power of sin has been broken in my life? If you go out and you cut a tree down, it's going to stay green for a little while. Even when it's cut down from the roots. You cut a tree, it doesn't automatically go wilt. It's still green. It still has the appearance that it's alive. But you give it a little time. And it'll start wilting. And leaves will start falling. And it'll start rotting. And you'll know it's dead. Jesus has cut the roots. At the moment that you trusted Christ, he cut the roots. Sin does not have power and authority in your life. It might appear to go, well, I still see it. Just give him a little time. There's going to come a day where it's over with and it has no power whatsoever in your life because God's delivered you from it. Now, looking at Jesus, the seed planted in the ground. I'll read a scripture to you real quick. John chapter 12. I'm almost done. Stay with me. I've got about five minutes. Are you all with me? Amen. All right. You all ain't me, so I'll get you out of here on time. On time is 12.30. John chapter 12. And if anybody says, man, it was so hot in their day, I didn't fool with the heat. John chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus speaking here and he's teaching on a seed. Okay? I'll let you get there. Let's look at verse 23. Jesus answered him and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain or unless a seed of wheat falls into the ground, it dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loses his life or loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so he's speaking of his death. He's talking about the fact that if I, if I do not die, nothing is going to happen. But if I die and I go into the ground, there's going to be a lot more fruit produced. And so he's painting a picture of himself as, I'm the seed. I'm that grain of wheat that's going to die and be placed in the ground. You can take an acorn and it's just a nut. You know, a squirrel looks at it as food. A deer hunter looks at it as something to his advantage, okay? But you take that acorn and you plant it in the ground and it gets watered. What's going to happen? It grows into a mighty oak. Jesus became that seed who was planted in the earth after he died. And from his resurrection, he became that tree of life that overshadowed sin. Satan is ever minded of his defeat. You know, I think it's cool that in the Old Testament, God gave one of his names as El Shaddai, the mighty oak. And so when you look at this, and this is my finish right here. <clears throat> you look at all the seeds. The other place that the seed was mentioned by Jesus was the mustard seed. And he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about the gospel. And if you look at the gospel as a seed, he said it's like a mustard seed. It's one of the smallest of all seeds. But when it's planted... It grows into one of the greatest of trees and the fowls of the air come and lodge in it. Here's my question for you. Has the seed of the gospel taken root in your heart? A lot of us hear it week after week, maybe day after day. Maybe you've heard the gospel and you're like, I've heard this message a thousand times. My question is this, has it taken root? Because I can take seed right now, throw it on top of this carpet and nothing's going to happen. And I think there's churches everywhere where pastors take the seed of the gospel and it's like that. It's just laying in the pews, laying in the carpet, and you've got knowledge of it. It's there, it's been placed there, but your heart's the stony ground, the stony heart, and it's like, I've never opened my heart to that. I've never surrendered myself to Jesus. I've never believed the gospel and, and humbled myself to receive God's grace and forgiveness in my life. Because if you have, it should be growing. You should be able to look at your life and go, maybe, you know, the gospel seed has to, how do I know that the gospel is taking root? Because I got a little bud. 
I've got a, a small tree. It's growing. It's spreading into every area of my life. The gospel's not only affected my salvation, it's affecting the kind of husband that I am. It's affected the kind of wife that I am. It's affected the kind of, of parent that I am. It's affected the kind of employee that I am. It affects how I, how I make decisions in life. It affects how I look at other people. It affects how I worship God and the desires of my life have changed. That's what the gospel does. Not immediately. But over the years, since the time that you've said you trusted in Christ, if the gospel has taken effect in your life, it's going to grow and it's going to spread. And you're going to be able to see what God's done through that. Second thing, often seeds lie dormant in your heart. Not only the gospel seed, but there's people all over in this crowd that God sowed a seed in your heart. Something that God has for you. Maybe something that God wanted you to be a part of. Maybe a change that God wants to make in your life. Maybe a blessing that God has that takes faith for you to act upon it so that you can receive it. Maybe it was a truth that God planted in your heart that he wants to use to change your life. And it's laying there dormant. Why? Because you have not acted upon it. You know, sometimes the seed needs water. And what we want to do is when God sows that seed of truth in your life, he's like, this is something I want to change. For good, some of us think, well, it's, not, it's always for good. Some of us go, I, I'm not ready to make that change. You know what? God doesn't just take the seed back. He's like, I'm going to continue to press this. And there's seeds lying dormant in your life in which you need to say, you know what? Today, if it's here's the thing. If seed is not mixed with water and soil, it's not going to grow. Right? right? Stay with me. Last illustration. If the seed that God plants in your heart is not mixed with faith, you're not going to see anything. You can sit here and say, well, this is what I believe, and this is what I feel, and this is what I think, and God spoke this to me, and God said that. God says a lot. He says a lot, I think, to everybody who will open the ear to him. The question is, are you mixing faith with that? Have you come to a place to go, I believe God, and I'm going to trust God in that, and I'm going to act upon it? You know, because God started dealing with me about preaching years before I started preaching. That seed laid dormant in my life. I was like, no way. And it wasn't until later when I believed God and went, okay, God, I'm going to set aside everything that's holding me back. And by faith, I'm going to try to do what you have put upon my heart. Everything in life is that way. There's no quick, you know, God, we want God to go, blah, 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 and we have a beautiful garden in our life. It doesn't work that way. You fight thorns. You hoe the ground. You cultivate. God wants to cultivate. I'm wanting to cultivate in your life this morning. Whatever seed it is that God's on your heart, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to pluck that seed. He wants to beat it down, keep it covered, because he's scared to death what God can do with your life. And God's like, I want to I cultivate that seed. I encourage you this morning that if God's put something in your heart, that you act upon it in faith, because it says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Now without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of him who diligently seek him. When God sows a seed in your heart, you know what he's doing? He's waiting on you. When he told Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth by flood. I want you to build an ark for the saving of your family. He gave him the directions to do it. Noah could have sat there and drowned. Noah got up, and by faith, he began to build an ark when it had never rained. Abraham, I want you to leave your family and go into a country. I'm going to show you. Not a lot of details. No record that God ever spoke to Noah again. No record that God ever spoke to Abraham again. Well, not God would appear to him and just stayed with him. God said one thing, one time. You know what they did? They mixed it with faith 
and they saw that seed grow and it radically changed their life and everybody else around them. So whatever it is in your life that God's put there, maybe you're here this morning and God sowed the seed of salvation. I go, I want to save you and I want to save you today. My question is, will you mix that with faith? Will you believe God and be saved today? Will you mix the seed with God's faith and do something about what God's placed in your heart this week? Maybe it's somebody that God placed upon your heart. And he's like, I'm going to sow a seed in you because I want you to speak the gospel to this person in your life. And you've put that seed dormant. Get up and be about it. Water it. Add it with faith and see what God can do in your life. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? <coughs>